Well, are you as excited as these kids are about next week? Amen. Are you? Well, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I, as an adult, I get way more excited about Vacation Bible School than I ever did as a kid. It's just the truth. I don't know what happened. Maybe it's God's changing my heart. I, I don't know. When I became a believer, it was like Vacation Bible School, anything to do with, with children just became just one of the most exciting things uh, about, about ministry. And I know that a lot of people, some people, not a lot, but some, Vacation Bible School is like this time that they avoid at all costs, you know. Kids are loud, they're excited. Man, I just can't deal with all this, amen. <laughs> some people have that. Well, not me. I, I absolutely love it. And the reason why I love it is because I know the God that created them. And I know that we have no idea in the mystery of who God is, we have no idea next week what God is going to do in some of the hearts of these children. Do you realize that, that, that some of the children in our membership right now are some of the children that come here from outside of our church, that God may touch them in a special way and bring them to salvation or put a conviction on their heart to go to be a missionary to a foreign nation? to go to seminary and become a preacher of the gospel. We absolutely have no idea what God has in store. And so I, months ago, we set aside this Sunday and next Sunday to really push Vacation Bible School and try to rattle you a little bit with it and to give us some conviction about the importance of next week. Because as you know and as I know, if a church does not have children in its ranks... It will not be too long and the church will not be there because it will die. And thank God we have children here, amen? And thank God we have babies coming just about weekly, amen? Just about weekly. So God is doing something here. And so, so in our faithfulness, in our love to Jesus and, and his church, we have vacation Bible school and as long as I'm alive, we will never stop doing vacation Bible school. We will try to reach children as early as possible with the gospel because we don't know. We don't know when God will give them the new birth. And so from the time they are born until the time they get to be a teenager, we, we hit them with the gospel lovingly and affectionately, affectionately as their church leaders and church family in the hopes that one day they will hear and believe. And then we will see that Christian child become an adult and possibly become leadership one day that's why i get excited about it i mean you do realize we, we could have the, the next adrian rogers could be in our midst did you know that amen. amen there could be a charles spurgeon floating around here somewhere in our church amen you just don't know who god may get a hold of and change their life forever next this today and next sunday what we're going to do is we're going to take an adventurous detour uh, out of luke for just just two sundays and we're going to look at the Vacation Bible School curriculum. It's going to be very brief. Uh, today we have a Cincinnati uh, mission trip report. We'll do it in the service. So today I want to give you day one and day two of Vacation Bible School. And day one and day two of Vacation Bible School focuses on one very important individual in the scripture. Does anybody know who that important individual is? King David. King David. Now, I'm not going to call his name, but Tony Wynn knows why King David is one of the most important people in the scripture, okay? He knows because for 
probably two years in Wednesday night Bible study, I hammered, what scripture, Tony? 2 Samuel 7 into your heart because 2 Samuel 7 is the covenant, the eternal covenant that God gave David that said, there will always be someone on your throne forever and ever and ever, and that person is who? Jesus Christ. So David is a very important person. So day one and day two, today we will look at David and the next Sunday we will look at Jesus. Now as you have heard several times already, the, the memory verse or the text for Vacation Bible School is Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Colton went backed up a little bit in the scripture and gave you more of a context, but the primary word that we're drilling into these children is workmanship. We are wanting to see a spark, spark studios. We want to see a, a, a spark of creativity because not only are we God's workmanship, but also what we do gives an evidence to the entire world that Christ is giving us the workmanship to give to the world. And so that's what we want them to remember after next week. Our motto is created, designed, and empowered. Say that with me created, designed, and empowered. Now, you really wanna impress these kids. You come back here next week, of course, if you, you, know, if you wanna work and you're not signed up, you'll need to talk to Carol Tomlinson, you'll have to have a background check and all that kind of stuff. But if you get the burn to be with us and help us in Vacation Bible School, please do not be bashful. Come talk to us. We need as many soldiers as we can possibly marshal, amen? Soldiers to fight hell for our children, amen? So today, we're gonna to look at God the Creator David praised God, the creator. And I want to tell you a story before we launch into the, to the text. I, I want you to think back to your childhood for a moment. And for most of us, those memories are precious. No matter who you are or where you live, big family or small family, I want you to think back to a time when someone in your family, a parent or a grandparent perhaps, made something for you. Notice I said made and not what? Bought, exactly. I said made. Now, I'm not knocking buying gifts. Hazard children, do you hear that? I'm not knocking you buying me gifts, amen? You can buy gifts, but there is a difference between buying something for someone and making something for someone. So think back to that time when someone close to you made you something, and while you're thinking about it, I want to tell you a story. When I was a child about Chloe's age, I was very, very close to my paternal grandparents, and we called them Papa and Mimi. We went to their home for the weekend twice a month. My grandmother would pick us up around lunchtime on Friday, and we would spend the afternoon with her. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I really look forward to this, okay? I look forward to two things. I look forward to going to the beauty shop, amen? You know why? Because I actually got to put my head under those bowls for a few minutes. You know what I'm talking about? I was always fascinated by those things. You'd walk in, all the women would have those bowls on their heads going, they were reading a magazine and you try to talk to them and they couldn't hear you. Drove me crazy. So I always wanted to be, get under one of those things. And so I would actually go there and get under one of those hair dryers. And then the next thing she always did was, and I don't know if any of y'all remember this at all, but she took us to something called Sewing Circle. Did anybody here actually go to Sewing Circle? <laughs> Tony Wynn, you've got to be kidding me. A quilting class, okay. 
So we went to Sewing Circle and we went to the beauty shop. And then on the way home, there was a small privately owned, uh, a Chinese man owned a little store that he lived on the top of. And my grandmother stopped by there and would buy groceries before we finally went all the way home. So when we, got her, when we got to her home and it started getting dark, she would keep watch for Papa's arrival. And when she saw him, she would say, he's coming up the driveway, hide quick, hide quick. We would hide in the laundry room, which was in the hallway off the kitchen. So we had to pass through there to go to his bedroom. Now at the entrance of this little hallway by the laundry room, my grandmother, diehard Baptist, never drank a bit of alcohol in her life. Guess what she had going into that hallway? saloon doors you know what I'm talking about right the little half doors that swing this way well she had saloon doors and when you walk through them they're they creak back and forth so my brother and I are hiding hiding in this in this little laundry room in the hallway and as soon as we heard that door creak we we attacked right ah, we would grab onto his legs and then he would like, Brent would be on this leg and I would be on this leg. And then he would, we would be screaming and, and yelling and he would walk us around on his legs like this for 10 or 15 minutes, just laughing and just screaming and just having a great time. Then finally, after all that died down, he would ask us the question, do we want a bamboo whistle? And the answer was always what? Yes. We would walk with him to the back corner of his property, which by the way is where he kept his, guess what? His army Jeep, amen, that's right. Kept his army Jeep, push our way into the bamboo patch and watch him select a stalk, a bamboo stalk that would make a good whistle. He would find one, feel of its thickness and then take out his shrayed folding knife that was always super sharp and cut it loose from the ground. Then we would all walk together back to the back porch and sit down in the wicker chairs. And my brother and I would be fixated on his huge hands as he picked two segments along that bamboo stalk and cut them off the stalk and then cut an air notch in the end of it without cutting his hand or his fingers. Then he would find a random stick on the ground and whittle it into a reed and stick it in the end of the bamboo. And without fail, every time they would work and no two whistles were ever the same. And then we would just run around blowing those whistles and driving them nuts all weekend long because we had these two wonderful bamboo whistles. So now I ask you to think while I was telling that story, have you, have you thought back to that moment when someone made you something? Have you thought about that? So what was it that was so special about that moment? Well, I think, just speaking for myself, it was that someone actually took the time to think about you and think about what you might like or something you didn't have, and they made it and gave it to you. That is pretty special. So what does this story, how does this story relate to vacation Bible school and the gospel? Well, we go back to Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift from God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his, say it with me, workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that term workmanship is poema in the Greek, and it based, it's very simple. It means something that has, has been brought into existence by someone else. That's what workmanship is. So what my brother and I were so amazed by was my grandfather's ability to take a knife, grab a stalk of bamboo, and make a one-of-a-kind whistle out of it. We were amazed by his what? Workmanship, exactly. My brother and I saw the creative power of God. Now, I don't know that we thought about that at that moment when he was making that whistle, but isn't that how God works sometimes? You really don't realize exactly what you're witnessing until years later. But that's what we saw. My brother and I saw the creative power of God in my grandfather as he went to the bamboo patch, chose a stalk of bamboo, and used his creativity and skill to make us both a whistle. And the whistle was his workmanship. You see, my papa had a spark studio in his bamboo patch that created a memory in our hearts that would sustain us in times of difficulty. His workmanship was forever an inspiration to us as children to know that he loved us enough to spend time with us and make us a whistle. That simple act of love in his workmanship. Now let's switch gears. Many of you know last week, my family was asked to travel back to the Mississippi Delta and oversee the funeral of a very close personal friend of my childhood named Uncle Roy Collins. Uncle Roy Collins. Roy was a, a second-generation construction man whose family has had an office in Cleveland, Mississippi since 1946. 1946. As I talked to Chris and his family about how he wanted their father remembered, he said something that sparked in my mind that fits perfectly with this vacation Bible school. He said this, and this was like at the end of the evening after we had talked and gone through everything we were gonna talk about, right as we were about to close, he said this. He said, it's hard to drive through Cleveland and not see daddy in over half the structures that have been built in this town. It just, just, captured my heart. So what did Chris mean by saying that? He meant that when you drive around Cleveland, Mississippi, his father's workmanship can be seen in many structures around the area because his family has been in business so long and they have built many of the buildings there. So Chris's great-grandfather had a spark of creativity and construction which passed on to his son, Uncle Roy, and has now passed on to his son, Chris. And that spark continues to this day and beyond as now Chris's nephew has joined the company and plans to also take the construction business forward. So let's shift gears again and look at the first two passages for the week. Two, we'll look at King David, and three, we'll look at Jesus. Why this order? Listen, and the Spirit will provide the spark for you to understand. If you have your Bible, open to Acts chapter 13, verses 21 through 23. Acts chapter 13, verses 21 through 23. I'll read slowly while you're turning there. 
Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does that have to do with workmanship? Well, it's pointing to the one who the workmanship would come through, plus God is preparing David, or the Savior would come through and God is preparing David. Now, this passage, Acts 13, is actually found in a sermon It was preached by Paul, the Apostle Paul, on his first missionary journey at a place called Antioch in Pisidia, which is inland from the Mediterranean Sea. And where is that? On the other side of the world, practically, right? On the other side of the world around the Mediterranean Mediterranean Sea. Paul enters the synagogue, and synagogue is just a Jewish name for what? Church, exactly. Just, Just so we're all tracking here. Paul enters the synagogue and preaches the gospel to them. Paul gives them a full history of Israel, and within that history, there is a key turning point when Paul mentions King David. And he says something very specific about King David. This king, God said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my what? Heart, who will do all my will. Jesus Christ, our Savior, would be a descendant of this King David, so this man David is very important to our faith. Now, David was multi-talented. I don't know if you know much about this guy. We don't have time to go into a long explanation of everything about David, so I'll just tell you just a couple things. Can you believe that David, the one that, that killed Goliath and then cut his head off and wrote a poem about it, amen? David was a musician. Did you know that? He played the lyre, with a little, little guitar-looking thing, okay? He was a musician. King David was a musician. So those of you that think music is for sissies, um, read your Bible some more, please. Yeah, thank you. It is not for sissies, because I have heard men say that in the church all my life. Music is for sissies. No, it is not, okay? It's not. I dare you to go cut the head off Goliath, amen? You, I mean, you, you're not going to do it. You're scared to death. But David what? David was a musician, A very smart, talented musician. He was also a what? A writer. What did David write the majority of? The Psalms, exactly. And then finally, the thing we love the most about David, what was David? Warrior, exactly. Warrior, conqueror, obedient to God's law and conquering, exactly. And his people would love him deeply. Now, here's one of the things I love about David. The scripture, and we're not completely 100% certain about this, but we're pretty sure. The scripture says that he was ruddy in complexion, R-U-D-D-Y. Most historical interpreters have seen that as saying, what color of hair did he have? Right. So we've got a red-headed king in Israel. Now, how strange is that? Because most Israelites, what color hair do they have? Dark, dark brown or black, but David's hair was most likely red. And so he was one of the least likely to become king of Israel. He probably would have been considered the runt of the litter, but 
God chose him to be the king of Israel. Now, one of the things that made him a man after God's own heart is the fact that David had a deep, a deep relationship with God. The scripture says he praised God. So David wrote hundreds of songs to God, one of which, Psalm 104, is one of, one of his most popular, where David is praising God for his what? Workmanship. Go to Psalm 104. Psalm 104, we're not going to read the whole thing, just a few, just a few. Psalm 104. So this unlikely king, this ruddy, unlikely king, the youngest of eight sons, out, out in the byways, out there shepherding sheep when Samuel comes. We'll look at that in just a second. And out there communing with God writes this psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Have you, have you heard that term lately? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Sing it with me. Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. We'll stop right there, amen. Just stop all that, yeah, quit that. All right, oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flame of fire. This is King David writing this. Youngest son of eight, ruddy king out shepherding the sheep. He wrote this. Jump down to, go to verse 19. Psalm 104, verse 19. Again, God's workmanship. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works, multifaceted. Manifold means multifaceted. Like a manifold on an exhaust on a car, right? There's multiple, multiple exhaust tubes that come out of it. Not just one, but multiple, holds them together. How manifold are your works in wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. And on and on and on. David was a man after God's own heart. David knew God. David praised God. David wrote songs about God. David defended his people against the enemies of God. King David, in the heart of David, we see the spark of creativity and the love for God. Day two, God the designer. God prepared David to be a king, 1 Samuel 16. Go there if you'd like to, 1 Samuel 16. Some of the most difficult Hebrew in all the Bible is 1 and 2 Samuel. I was so glad they didn't make us translate it when I was in school. I wouldn't have made it. 1 Samuel 16. 
God designs us in two ways, two ways. The first way he designs us is at an atomic level. You know what that means? An atomic level. Of course you know what that means. Everybody studied science. You have molecules and the building blocks of the molecule is the what? The atom, right? So he, he builds us, meaning our bodies are a metaphysical expression of the building blocks of humanity known as DNA. And I've got a cherry blow pop for anybody that can stand up and tell me what that stands for. Okay, I don't have a blow pop, but you got it. Good job. You got, you got one? Clayton's going to take care of you. See, you. see him after church. She got it right. Deoxyribonucleic acid. And that acid contains all the codes necessary to make a human body complete. That's why Roe versus Wade was such a big deal. And why we've been fighting that for so many years. That's a separate body in there. That's its own, that is a child created in the image of God. In the image of God. It's completely incredible. The shape of it is called a double helix. Another blow pop prize for anybody who can tell me in 1953 who discovered DNA. Who said that? Dean Nelson. Clayton, can you give him a... No more blow pops. Okay, no. No more blow pops. Okay, all right. Second, he had no idea I was going to do that, by the way. Second, once we are born, okay, that, that's DNA. Okay, that, that, that's, that's completely God's territory, and the other is God's territory as well, but it's once we come, once we're born and we're living our lives, then he also forms us through, designs us through what? Life experience. Yes? Yes. God sets plans for us before the foundation of the world that purposefully molds us into who he wants us to be. And this is the part that we look at this morning in 1 Samuel 16, just for a couple more minutes, and then we're finished. So I'm going to summarize 1 Samuel 16 here for a little bit, and then I'll show you the passage it will go to. So Samuel was the prophet of Israel that God called to appoint the kings of Israel. Sometimes when you're, re when you're studying, um, studying for Sunday school class or studying a book, uh, Samuel will be called the what? The kingmaker, right? The kingmaker of Israel because he went and anointed them and told them that they were the new king. Well, after Saul had disqualified himself from being king of Israel, God sent Samuel to this guy named Jesse, and I don't mean Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard. okay? This is a different Jesse. This is Jesse the Bethlehemite, home to anoint Israel's next king. So Samuel gets to Jesse's house and begins to meet all of Jesse's sons. And how many of them are there? I've been telling you. There's eight, okay? Now pick up in verse six, 1 Samuel 16, verse six. So when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel these very important words that we really need to, to cling to in how God deals with us. Do not look on his, what? Appearance or on the height of his stature. So Eliab must have been really tall because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Exactly. 
Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So how do you think Jesse felt? Probably not the greatest. So then Samuel says, are all your sons here? And so Jesse takes a minute to think, right? And he goes, oh, right? Oh, wait a minute. What does he say? There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping sheep. Now in the Jewish home, the reason why he went to such links to explain in verse seven about Eliab is that in the Jewish, in the Jewish culture, which son normally inherited everything? The first, the oldest, exactly. So it was, it was Jesse's natural inclination to think that Eliab would be the one that, that, that Samuel came to see. But after he went through seven sons, he says, There's got to, none, of these, none of these are him. There, do you, are, they, are they all here? And the dad's like, oh, you know what? There, there's, there's, a, there's a runt, right? There's a runt that I forgot about, this red-headed runt that's out there keeping sheep. I, I totally forgot about him. He's, he's, he's out in the fields keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So God had prepared him. David praised God and now God had prepared him. He prepared him. Now this, this, is, this is one of those things where this is kind of God's territory because I don't really understand how all this fleshed out. I mean, we kind of understand birth order today in, in weird kind of ways, but, but back then birth order was understood in different ways and we really understand them. So I, I don't really know that I know all the answers here, but, I, but I, know this is, I know this is right what I'm about to tell you. God prepared him by allowing him to be how old? The youngest of eight sons. Somehow, somehow that prepared him for the job he was about to do as king of Israel. God prepared him by making him, what, what, what line of work did he do for the home? Shepherd. God prepared him by making him a shepherd. That's how God designed him in his life. He was in the fields all day protecting and herding sheep. And based on how his father speaks of him, perhaps he was smaller in stature and considered the weakest of his brothers. That's a little bit of speculation on my point, but it certainly seems like that's kind of the direction his dad was thinking. Although we know that he did battle with wild beasts and killed them. We don't know whether that had happened at this point or happened later, we don't know. God had designed this young boy to be the greatest king of Israel and the one who would be given the Davidic covenant fulfilled by Christ, King David. So, Spark Studios, King David, Davidic covenant, 
We are his workmanship. All of these streams come together in this text where it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Vacation Bible School and for a church in Parkway Baptist that continues the tradition of standing firm and loving our children and providing this opportunity to the community where we will have hopefully dozens of children come here and hear your gospel over several days. Father, we pray for their hearts. We pray for the hearts of their parents. As they learn about David, as they learn about Paul's word, as they learn about workmanship, Lord, we pray that there would be a spark of creativity, a spark of conviction, a spark of repentance, Lord, that would turn into a huge spiritual fire as we hope and as we pray and we move into this special week next week, dear God. And so, Father, we ask during this time, Lord, that if anyone here does not know you, that they may know today for the very first time that the Lord Jesus, our Savior, came from heaven in the form of a man that lived a sinless life for 33 years on this earth, that he came as a ransom for many, that he went voluntarily to the cross, gave his life to death on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and came out on the third day, was raised from the dead, resurrected, and is currently at your right hand. And Lord, the forgiveness is offered to everyone, Lord. That all you must do, the Bible says, all we must do is call upon the Lord in repentance and faith, and they shall be born again. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.